Well, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Failure Peace Theater. I am your amiable host, Tim, and joining me as always is... Catherine! And, you know, on this show, we like to play fast and loose, right? We're, we're just having fun, just a bro and a sis out here on the internet talking about stuff that we're watching. And so uh, we had a plan for our Halloween episode. We were going to watch a sort of forgotten little gym uh, that we're, we're still going to do. But as, we, as we've worked over the last couple of weeks and decided what we were going to do, we said that we have to talk about something truly, truly terrifying. Something, truly so, something so horrific that it would leave even the greatest of us, even the most ardent horror film enthusiasts, would just leave them laid about on the floor. Right. Not not unlike a, a palantir through, you know, like you, you get obsessed with it, like, you know, a, a Mariadoc or a oh, Pippin. Yeah. Right. And you get laid out. And so we're going to talk about Rings of Power because that's truly the most terrifying bit of filmed entertainment that I've watched in quite some time. Uh, horrific in the extreme. And so um, we're going to hit the last three episodes of the season. Now, our, our previous recap of episodes one through five. I mistakenly believed that we were going to get a 10 episode season. I don't know why. I, I guess it was just the math worked out. Oh, you know, $500 well, you million, know, dollars, five seasons. Money. It yeah, seemed you know. like that's 10 episodes worth, but okay. It also All came right. from the fact that we were sitting at episode five and I was like, has anything happened? <laughs> like where, which was a little bit easier for me to justify at the mid season mark, not realizing that we were just getting to the end of the season. Now, I know you you could probably look at the run times because most of these episodes are over an hour long, right? They are very long episodes of television. So if you look at the runtime, you're probably getting about 10 hours of stuff, I guess. But, uh, but yeah, so so we've got three episodes left to recap and, and then sort of, you know, our final thoughts on this first season of Amazon's Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power trademark. Um this this totality of a show right or or what is attempted to be a filmed television program in 2022 um so i guess before we get into the episode breakdowns let's just sort of briefly talk about the a sort of mini version of where we're at now that the show is complete um so my question to you is will you be watching season 2 of LOTR R-O-P-T-M, Amazon. Uh, you know, here's the strange thing. Mm-hmm. I probably will watch it. Same. But yeah. I will watch it out of sheer hatred for it. Uh, because I, I need to watch it. I need to hate it. Also, um, once it ended, because we were kind of shocked, um, <laughs> it became this like Friday ritual that we would get alcohol and we would sit down and hate on Rings of Power. Smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And That's then the when it was it. over, my, my partner just keeps saying, I kind of miss the show now that it's gone. Right, the, the we don't have anything to hate it. on yeah. Friday anymore. <laughs> <laughs> we have to it find a- other shows to hate on Fridays. Yeah, I'm like I I can't find anything that upsets me quite as much as this show. Yeah, finding something that would upset me quite as much would be a challenge for sure. Um I I too will probably engage with season 2 at least on the front half because I feel like I feel like this this season and everything that happened 
should have been written as like a paragraph introduction to whatever they're going to do next. Because my, you know, apart from, from my myriad of issues with this show, my biggest issue with it is that 90% of it is total wheel spinning to get to a reveal that was so obvious and lame that it might have well as been the Benedict Cumberbatch I am con reveal in Star Trek Into Darkness, which for Which me, also upset me. Well, yeah, for me, that was my number one, like, this is entirely for the fans. Like, the look on Chris Pine's face when he says, I am Khan in that movie, should be everybody's face. Just like, who the hell is that? This reveal at the end of this series, which we'll get to, um, that seemingly was the reveal of the season. Right? Like, you got that impression? Like, this was supposed to be the thing they wrote the whole season to build towards? Was such a non-starter and so lame and such weird so i think somebody thought it was fan service like oh they're really gonna get into this and i'm like are they are they because it's so obvious (laughs) yeah it's like get into what yeah like it's it's just so obvious what they're doing but um but yeah there's there's a certain element of now that these characters have been established, now that, you know, whatever parameters of the world they wanted explained have been set up and explained, they might be able to do something interesting with it. And a lot of that can be illustrated through Galadriel, right? Because I still think she's one of the weakest characters on the show by so much margin. But a couple of key things happen in these last few episodes that make me think they're going to now transition Galadriel from you know, Galadriel warrior princess to like Galadriel lady of Lothlorien, you know, this, this sort of thing. Um, And so, you know, we can talk about those a little bit when we get there and I'm not going to say that that's going to redeem that character. It still seems like they just don't really have a strong fundamental idea of who they want that character to be and, and a consistency of thought expression and action pushed forward by motivation that makes sense. So that's part of the problem is they just don't, I I don't think they handle that character, but they've, they seemingly are positioning her to be a much more interesting character in season two than she was in season one. Again, no idea if that's going to quote unquote, save the character. I kind of doubt it, but at least puts her on a track. That's more interesting than what we've seen in the eight episodes of this season. But it's, it's such a strange show for me because there are little bursts of goodness in it, but it's getting harder and harder to watch 73 minutes of an episode of television for three minutes of stuff where I'm like, Oh, that's pretty good. You know, especially when these final, these final episodes, um, removed all the things that I enjoyed. Yeah. These last, these last three, uh, I mean, in a show that has struggled to adequately support and maintain its storylines as it's gone on, like entire episodes where plot lines just don't appear, these three are the worst at it. Because I guess we can lay it out. The sixth episode, you know, at the end of our, our last recap, we sort of both realized, oh, we're, 
we're coming to a conflict. The Numenorians are sailing across the sea. The Arondir human people are fending off the orcs. There's going to be some kind of battle. There's going to be some kind of fight. And, you know, that's coming soon. Well, that was in the very next episode. And that is yeah. the entirety of the episode. The whole thing is a big, you know, we desperately want to be Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson style fight scene. Um, it's still kind of small scale and lame, no matter how hard they try. <laughs> Uh, but it, it was at least the most overtly action-packed episode that we've had. You know, people on horses, people with swords, people running away from things. You know, just just it's a like thrill a, a really minute. Expensive Xena warrior princess. And and that was my feeling battle. too. It was it was like we've seen stuff at this scale in quite a bit of TV at this point. Now, again, I'm, I'm not trying to diss it. It was obviously. For television, doing this I'm kind of stuff is expensive. I'm not trying to diss Warrior Princess. I loved that show. No, no. I don't want to put <laughs> any sort of stain on the quality of Xena Warrior Princess because it's, mm, it's so choice. But a lot of it comes down to not just what they're doing, but how it's being filmed and how the episode is cut together, right? Like anytime you're watching, you know, a few dozen people charge across you know, screen on horses. Is that exciting? Yeah. I mean, sure. It, when it's all going? like, when it's all like big crane shots that you can tell mm. are, are like just loosely connected visually to where they're headed. It's like, well, you just took everybody out to a field in New Zealand and told them to ride from left to right. Like that's not super exciting, right? It's, it all comes down to, to how it's. Assembled. Oh, it's exciting. And, and I just don't just think it was, wait. I just don't think it was very, very exciting to watch. Um, so, you know, dear, dear listener, if, if you want to tap out now, know that we do not recommend the first season of this show if you still haven't watched oh. it. Not at all. Um, if you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan, again, there are maybe 15 to 20 minutes of material in the entirety of these first eight hours that I would say you will probably enjoy. Or if you're Depending a masochist your, who loves having your time wasted. Yes. If you just really love, I mean, if you just have infinite amounts of TV watching time and you just want to like throw it on and see how it goes. Like if you're you, having major right. surgery and you need to recover at home <laughs> you're in front trapped. of the TV. Yeah. Absolutely. Watch sure. it. If this, honestly, if this had come out during the COVID-19 pandemic, probably would have been gangbusters. It would have been like, ah, freshness, freedom, anything, right? I would be uh, so excited, like, wow, this show sucks. Wow. Yay. Oh, man. So the the issue, of course, is that they're trying to play in a sandbox that has been explored very well by, by you know, Peter Jackson, one of the greatest living filmmakers. And, and they're just not hitting it on most beats. But so let's break down the episodes. Uh, you, you know, dear listener, if you're not interested in the episode breakdowns, you can leave now. Rest assured, we're good. My opinion is not going this. to change. But but let's get into episode six. So episode five yeah. ends, and we we we're on the the edge of a knife, right? We're standing mm-hmm. on the blade, mm-hmm. waiting to see what will happen with oh, these yeah. orcs and and these elves and these humans that we care about so deeply, right? Theo. One of our favorite characters. Will he succumb to the, the 
the lure of Sauron, right? Will he, will he, like most of the men, turn evil, right? I was so anxious to find out, so worried about the outcome of what was next. Uh, I wasn't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If that sarcasm isn't coming through on mic, I apologize. But no, I wasn't. Oh, yeah. I don't care about any of these people. That's the problem. Yeah. Ron Deere is the only one I care about. And I can tell that the show is trying to get rid of him as quickly as possible. <laughs> I don't know if he's very expensive. I don't know, but they just um, they don't know what to do with him. They're like, Well, we have this pretty elf boy. He's like what do we make him do? He's just legless. He's gonna jump off stuff, he's gonna flit around mm. on ropes, he's gonna I don't know, climb falling rocks in the well, air. In this Who episode knows? they set a bunch of home alone traps. Yes. Um so okay. Home alone. I had a lot of respect for Ron Deere until he said these words. The village will be easier to defend than the tower. To which I said, wait, what? (laughs) So this village in a valley with a bunch of open, non-connected buildings, not surrounded by any kind of wall or natural defenses, is going to be a better place for you to hole up and fight these orcs than a guard tower constructed (laughs) by Sauron. It makes no sense. It's like, wait, hold on. Now, I, I would have been easy. It would have been easier for me to deal with if they had just said that we're going to sacrifice the tower in this Home Alone trap method to try and kill as many of the orcs as we can, and then you know take what we can from the village and and try and find somewhere else. I'd have been like, okay, I, I get that. But they make it seem like these orcs just stroll up this mountain to this watchtower sitting on the side of it. And it's like super easy, barely an inconvenience, right? Like we don't even have to try. And I'm like, but you could have been sitting up there with arrows. You could have been rolling rocks down the hill at them. Like, you know, I mean like the Ewoks one with like sticks, right? Like what's, what's going on, man. But yeah, I I don't know. So that was a little weird, but so as the episode opens, the human beings, uh, when we last saw them in episode five, they were holed up in the watchtower. Uh, half of them had left to go and you know, be with Adar and, and the orcs or whatever. And the other half had stayed behind. And so, you know, there's all this, oh, we, what are we going to do? How are we going to make it? You know, obviously we know that some of them will at least make it. Um, Lives and, have been torn asunder. Oh, torn asunder. A community ripped apart by deception and, and lies. Oh, just, I feel it in my bones. The drama. And so the entirety of episode six is a fight scene, in, in essence. And it starts it's, off pretty strong with a Rondier taking, yeah. I mean, the, the orcs just charge into the watchtower, start looking around, and then he fires one arrow at a rope. And that one arrow hits the rope, severs it, and then the entire watchtower collapses. <laughs> like the whole thing just goes like, um, to which I say, poor design. You know, that's that's like then, your Death Star design where you got the one the, thing. And then the rest of it just kind of devolves into throwing paint cans at Joe Pesci's head. Like it just really, mm-hmm. I don't. I did not enjoy the way that this played out. It didn't make any sense. They pulled down the tower. Why? Yeah, again, it Why seems like a fairly that? like good defensible structure to try and But try nothing and use, really but... provides defense like a thatch roofed cottage. Yeah, I mean, you know, the more thatch that you can have on your roof that's <laughs> easily set afire by flaming arrows is probably better. 
you know, don't even bother wetting it down. Just, you know, just hopefully it's been a dry season and it's just immediately. So, yeah, so they they bring the watchtower down and that kills. I mean, from what we can see and, and the orcs that we've been shown, it kills basically all of them. Right, or at least it appears to. But then we find out there are way more, of course, because they're like cockroaches. If you see one, there's actually like three hundred. You know, just just, just the life of the York. And it's so they they kill a bunch, but Adar survives, of course, because you know he sees it coming because he's smart or whatever. And and so like the humans have set up in the village, and they have all these traps. They have all these these carriages full of explosives. Or fire. I, I don't even know what they're full of. Oil, something. And the show doesn't... You don't see them making the traps. They don't really have a Kevin McAllister no. setting up for Joe Pesci to return. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, you don't see him tying the paint cans up above the stairs. Like, which I like think that would have added something to it if we could have seen like the villagers working together, but... Mostly we just see them cowering in a corner, absolutely terrified, and then they start setting shit on fire. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a brief... So the the orcs, there's all this tension, like, oh, maybe we killed them, which obviously, of course they haven't, but maybe, you know, maybe we've won. And then, basically, the orcs come over the hill, and it's nighttime, and they start, like, pushing flaming carts into groups. That's what they're going to do. And there's a bunch of tension with Bronwyn... Because she has to go and light one of these carts on fire. Because and they didn't prepare for they this. They didn't prepare this. They just they're they're gonna like flint <laughs> flint and stone to to start this fire and it doesn't work and or of course. It, it's the most ridiculous thing. And, and so like all the orcs come and and they have like a brief moment of like oh, you know, we're going to win. And, and so they're like hiding on the roofs with arrows and they're shooting them. And I'm like, you know, you could have done this at the watchtower. Um, you would have had higher vantage points. And, but no, it's fine. The The watchtower wasn't as safe as the village, you see, because the village has roof, like thatched cottages. roofs, cottages, um, you know, thin wooden walls, like all of these really great defenses. And so the like the big reveal of about the halfway point, the 30 minute point of the episode is that they haven't been fighting orcs. They've been fighting the humans that left the village oh to join Sauron God. in orc gear. And there's this moment of like, wait, we done been tricked. Thought we was killing the orcs. We just killed the other humans, so we killed our friends. Right? There's this suppose there's this big emotional music swell as they pull one of the orc helmets but off like, a guy. I don't understand why they were surprised by this. Those people <laughs> yeah. chose to leave and join the yeah. orcs. Did you think they were just gonna like house and feed them? Well, they were just gonna hang out. I mean, like yeah. they're the people they were just gonna get to play a lot of video games, smoke a lot of weed, and just chill, because orcs are cool like that, you know? And yeah, so there's like this whole like, and I'm like, and they pulled the helmet off this one guy and, and I Bronwyn or somebody goes like, <gasps> and I'm like, am I supposed to know who that is? <laughs> like, is this that person important? Is that like, oh no, it's it Charles, was the man. you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's the guy from the bar who was angry. <laughs> Who's the man, the man in the bar. I was like, oh, all right. So, I mean, I understood that he was human, but I, I, it seemed like I was supposed to know who he was. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like, I don't know who that person is. 
so yeah, anyway, so that's the big like, mid episode reveal. And then the orcs swell in and they are like, you know, like trapped in the bar, right? They're like stuck in the bar and, and they're trying, which again, I don't know why they would go to the bar. I mean, it's just a building with a fast roof. What difference does it make? But so they yeah. all go to the bar and, and there's some good fight scenes. There's a great fight scene, probably the highlight of the episode. It certainly isn't the new Minorians and their stupid fucking armor rolling over the hills. Nobody cares. But the best scene in it is a Rondier fights this like massive orc. We'll call him large orc. I don't, I don't know if he had a name. I didn't look at the credits, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's fighting to protect the bar and he's like doing all this stuff on the rooftops. And then like this massive orc just kind of like comes after him and he gets into this big hand to hand fight with him. That for me was probably just the visual highlight of the episode. Again, I, I really, Arondir is one of the few characters in this storyline set that I care about. So seeing him legitimately appear to be in danger was cool. Um, I, I, I enjoyed that. I thought that looked, that was a good fight. It was executed pretty well. Um, and, and even though Arondir is an elf who can do all these amazing things, he legitimately appeared to be in some potential danger right and so that was like good it was like hey look at what happens when you create drama in your television show pretty good show nice job but that's about it like most of this is bad bronwyn gets stabbed good um or shot with with an arrow no (laughs) i mean oh no (laughs) she gets shot with an arrow um and so she's you know in danger they do a little bit of healing on her then it becomes about uh, Adar showing up to find the sword, right? Because that's the thing they need. And and okay, so here's here's the funny thing. Uh, I've I've been watching a lot of as the show was going on. I was watching increasing amounts of YouTubers reacting to the show. Just you know, for perspective, to you know, it's I, I tried to watch ones that were positive on it. Like I was surprised that like Nerd of the Rings, which we've mentioned on the podcast mm-hmm. before, was. His his desire to remain like upbeat about the show, just like, hey, like, I don't really get why they're doing this, but let's see how this plays out, you know, and, and he's, you know, as someone who is like embedded in Tolkien's lore, has an incredible wealth of knowledge about who these characters are and how they behave and what they do inside of Tolkien's, you know, actual writings. I was I was always buoyed by his like it's all right. Everything's fine. It's going to be good. You know? And I was like, dude, I, I love you. I appreciate you, but you got to take the blinders off, man. Like this is not going to be okay. (laughs) But it was, I I tried to watch stuff like that, but I remember watching this one guy and he was doing like very quick episode recaps. And I think he even tweeted about this, but at the end of episode, I want to say four, maybe it was five. It must've been five. Cause you know, fives where they do the reveal at the watchtower of like, like the swords on the wall and there's like a Sauron helmet and all this crazy stuff. And he's like, I don't, and it was just like a a thing at the end. He's like, I don't know what the sword is with these stupid writers. It's probably going to be some fucking key that unlocks Mount doom or something stupid like that. And, uh, Oh, and well, Oh, he was right. Yeah, that was it. That was it. That's it. Um. So the plan. What is Adar trying to do? One of the biggest questions that we've had in the show since he appeared. 
and we even brought up some of that when we talked about it the first time. It's like, why are we digging these trenches in the open air? Why aren't they just digging more tunnels so they can move around? It was a good, that was probably one of the better dodges in the show because they just simply chose to not address it. They just didn't do anything with it. But okay, so Adar wants the sword. The sword is important. The sword, mind you, that has been in the barn floor of a dude's house for for decades, and he knew it was there. He didn't know what to do with it, wasn't attempting to protect it in any way. And then apparently Theo and his little like weirdo buddy just kind of stumbled across it because they were trying to steal chickens or something. So, so this thing that's the, literally the most important thing to Adar's plan, like he has been doing things for years in preparation for finding this sword that was just in a dude's barn. A dude who we find out was totally cool with helping out given the chance, but yet people are being murdered. Homes are being ransacked uh, (laughs) to find this sword that the guy would have handed over if they'd just gone up to his house and been like, Hey, do you have a sword? And he'd been like, it was one of those like, it was one of those like, did you try asking about it? Did you just like, (laughs) did did you you ask anybody? (laughs) Did you put a flyer up on a telephone pole sword missing? Like a Facebook marketplace ad, ISO magic sword. ISO magic sword turns into sword when you stab it in your arm. Do not let it poke you. (laughs) Yes, avoid poking. It it it's. We're going to talk about this. Uh, A a writer I follow, Django Wexler, um, was he kind of had a response thread to this where he mentioned the Emperor Palpatine problem in in sort of big scale storytelling like this where if you really sit down and try and articulate the plan of the villain, like what was he trying to do? That it just, none of it makes sense. (laughs) None of it makes sense whatsoever. Like none of these, these, these motivations work. Like why is Adar doing all of the things that he's doing to build to this one thing that he feels he must do? Why was he so angry when they thought he was Sauron? If all um, of this was to help Sauron. Well, it, and okay. So why did that make him so angry? Cuz it did. It did. Oh yes. Really no, he doesn't want to be seen as Sauron. I am he believes not Sauron is fucking bad. Sauron, dude. Sauron not- tr- <laughs> Sauron treated the orcs bad by doing experiments on him and that made Adar sad. So Adar, as we find out at the end of the episode, killed Sauron. But he didn't. So that's what he did. No, he but like, did. Why, but why is he, he doing this? He did. He killed him because he's bad. And so Doesn't make what, any sense. So what we, we can try to articulate is that <laughs> somehow Adar was told probably by Sauron as a manipulation because all of this is actually Sauron's plan. And we're going to get to that as a manipulation. Adar must've been told where if you want to create a place for your precious, precious baby orcs to live where they don't have to be burned by the harsh sunlight. They don't have to get the, with the rashes on the skin and you can all be happy is you need to make a Mount doom and you make a Mount doom. Here's the recipe find magic sword okay step one 
just just a step two take magic sword from person who has it whether they want to or not you just take it insert magic sword into hidden hole inside of elven watchtower that i guess maybe wasn't an elven watchtower maybe it was a sauron watchtower from the past (laughs) insert into hole turn left 180 degrees Release water from dam with sword. That's what it unlocks. That's the key. Dam. Now, now, unfortunately, now, okay, but there's an important step. There's, there's sub steps. Now, in between releasing the water, though, you have to dig a bunch of trenches. Because if you just release the water, it'll like, I don't know, just go into the valley and be a lake or something. But you release the water. But if you dig all these trenches really specifically, and you definitely want to take all the trees out and all the roots, you don't want to go around them because water won't go around things if it goes through the trench, right? You got to take out all the trees and you got to be really, really specific about that. And if elves cause any problems, you tell them to just get out of the way. Okay. Anyway, so you dig all these trenches that go directly into the bottom of a mountain. And then at the bottom mm-hmm. of that mountain, there's a, there's lava, right? And there's a molten mountain, but you can't see any of that. It's not actually a volcano yet. It's just molten lava down there. So you dig some trenches and then all of that water goes down there. And then, you know, I read a book on volcanoes once and when water go on volcano, it blow up, right? A lot of underwater volcanoes cause water gets in there and then it makes problems and blows up. I read that once in like sixth grade. And so, so I know that that's how volcanoes work. And so all of the water goes into Mount Doom and it caused Mount Doom explosion, which is going to turn the sky black with all of the ash and then orcs live happily ever after. That's the plan. Now, I don't want to sound like a suspicious Aloysius here, but that seems like bullshit. Like why? I mean... If you want to make a paradise where your your orcs are safe, you've already been digging. Why don't you just make an underground city like just in go World live of in Warcraft? a fucking cave? Yeah, just like, go live in a fucking cave. There's plenty of that shit. Why are you doing this? Why? Because orcs deserve. Because Sauron a, told you to. Because Sauron told you to. He convinced you. He manipulated you as you murdered him, supposedly, <laughs> to go and do all of these things. Again, when you look at these plans that these characters are trying to execute on large scale, they just make no sense whatsoever. There are dozens of easier things that if this Adar guy's goal, if his motivation, and we get several speeches of him being like, my orcs, my children, I love you. I want for you to be happy. I want you to find life, right? Like all of this bullshit. (laughs) If that's all you want, then just leave. Go find a mountain somewhere that's full of caves yeah. and just live there. That's what the goblins do, right? Just just do it. That's what the dwarves do. That's they what live in most, huge caves. Like, like, a, a lot of people live in nine caves. nine out of ten it's... races in this universe do. They just <laughs> live in the ground, right? Like, it's fine. You know? But no, so he's going to and Okay, so episode six happens. Uh and then at the moment when all hope is lost, they're all going to get killed. Uh, Adar's found the sword. The Numenorians sweep in on horseback because time means nothing. 
and they were able to, because I realized this too. Okay. So at the end of the first episode, we, we oh, I was Matt Barry there for a second. The first episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> at the end of the first episode, we see as Meteor Man streaks down, the Meteor time for all of these characters links up. So we know at the moment the Meteor Man falls, all of these characters are in those places doing those things at those moments. Right? I mean, like, we're shown those in sequence. They all see the Meteor Man fall. So that means Arondir and Bronwyn are having their meeting in their town. Galadriel was where? She was in Lindor. She was in Lindor getting ready to leave uh, on the boat, right? Um, We saw the crazy girls in white. We saw the Harfoots. All of them see the Meteor Man fall at the same time. So that establishes all of those timelines running concurrently with each other. And that means that Galadriel was able to travel from Lindor to the Grey Havens and the Sundering Seas, float around on the Sundering Seas, be picked up by the Numenorians, go through all the Numenorian bullshit, and then get all the way back from Numenor to the Southlands in the same amount of time that it took the Harfoots to travel like a hundred yards. <laughs> Like, I, I don't, I can, I don't want to be a stickler about this shit, but again, getting across Tolkien's world takes time, like a lot of time. And I just don't, I, again, I know there are probably holes here where like, oh, they were actually in the watchtower for a month or some bullshit like that. But we don't see that and nobody talks about that. So I'm left assuming that, you know, oh, it's just been a couple of days, you know? Yeah. And it just it not, doesn't work. So the Numenorians arrive. Isildur is with them. I'm so happy he's there. Um, he's going to be such an essential part of this battle as he cries and falls off his horse and then wanders around. <laughs> um, just a very impressive character. I'm really excited to see where they take him in the further seasons of the show as he falls off his horse, wanders around, cries about things. Uh, but then eventually becomes a great hero or, or Michael Corleone tragic style figure, whichever, whichever you prefer, really, I guess it's both. So we have a big battle. They fight the orcs. It's fine. I mean, there's a lot of good horseback combat. If you want to look at it from a stunts perspective, I don't, it's, but I mean, it's, but it's not shot incredibly viscerally. It's, it's certainly more exciting than anything else we've seen in the show, just because stuff's happening. And, and you can look at them and be like, oh, hey, look, a horse got stabbed and fell over. That's, I mean, that's a thing. That's a thing that can happen in a fantasy show. And, and of course, they win, right? They win the day. And then it becomes this giant chase as Adar has taken the sword and is, is running through the woods. So we get another, like, woods chase. And, man, they want it. They want it so desperately to be the horse chase through the woods from... Fellowship of the Ring with Arwen. <laughs> like they want it so hard to be like that. And it just isn't. It just, no, not even and, close. And so Galadriel is, is chasing down Adar on horseback. And then Halbrand swoops in and knocks Adar, Adar down and is about to kill him. Like he's just going to end him. And Galadriel's like, no, no, no. We need like information and stuff. What is he doing? <laughs> what is the point of all of this? Who are you? And so they chain him up in a barn. You know, not visible, like you want to put him inside of a place 
you know, you don't want to have him like out in public where people can you know, monitor him or anything like that. That would be ridiculous. But they have this conversation. He says that he killed Sauron, that he watched Sauron die. But he also has this weird interaction with Hallbrand, who's just a totally normal Middle Earth dude. Totally normal. Don't worry about it. None of the clues that saw it's that. It's not weird. That Halbrand might not just be a regular Middle Earth dude. Ignore all of those. But we even have an interaction with Adar where he looks at him and goes like, do I know you? (laughs) Have we met before? You you seem really familiar to me. And and then Halbrand, that's when Halbrand's going to kill him. Yeah, he's like, well, you know, I do look like that guy that hangs out around the Costco. So maybe... Maybe 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 we saw each other when we were bulk goods shopping last weekend. You look like my drug dealer. <laughs> yeah. But so um then okay. So God damn it. I'm sorry. All right. So Adar had the sword. It was wrapped up in a little bundle. Right. It was wrapped up in a little sheet or something. Burlap cloth for your for your burlap pleasure. And, and he's got it wrapped up. And so they're like, ah, oh, got the sword. Don't have to worry about it. We don't know what the sword is for. We don't know what it needs to do, but we know we shouldn't have it because this little kid told me that. He's like, or I guess a Rondier said it. Like Theo told a Rondier and then a Rondier was like, hey, we shouldn't let that guy have that sword. Go get it. And then Galadriel rides off. But not before a Rondier can be like, somebody's like, who is that? And he's like, that's Galadriel, the greatest, the, the commander of the Northern Armies. And he's all like, Dang. Oh, dang, Galadriel. Wow. He's just like awestruck. Like, Who cares? Okay. Who cares? I mean, you're probably the same age. What difference does it make? Maybe not. I don't know. I don't know how long elves live. doesn't really matter at this point. In this show, anywhere from 60 to 8 million years. So Yeah, definitely. Just definitely kinda... the, earth, the age of the sun, you know, just somewhere around yeah. in there. Yeah, just as, as long as the stars have existed from before the first silence. Oh, that'll come. That's coming back later. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> uh, so dumb. Anyway, um, so they chase him down and then they get the little parcel and she hands it off and she says, like, all right, give this back to whoever told me it was important. I don't even know. And so they ride it all the way back into town. Presumably a pretty good distance, right? All the way back into town, hand it over to somebody else. That person hands it over to Theo or, or a Rondier or somebody. And then finally, one of the dumb motherfuckers unwraps it. And they're like, this isn't a sword at all. It's just a little hatchet. <laughs> and so then we see the the human guy, the, the shitty one from a couple episodes back, the barkeeper who was always causing, always being a dick. He is at the watchtower, which we saw destroyed. The tower fell on it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, it's, but this essential part in the middle of it is fine. Like, it's fine. And so, as, as my, my, my friend on YouTube indicated, the, the sword, which again requires blood to form. You have to stab yourself with it to, to make the blade come out. Um, you insert it into this little slot. And you sort of carefully turn it to the left just a little bit, just like a. And then that causes the dam or, or the natural, da- you know, whatever the, this pool of water below the watchtower, all of that blows up and the water flies down through the valley, 
through all of their little trenches and tunnels, and it causes the first eruption of Mount Doom. Right? I hate it. So the sword was a Mount Doom key hidden in a watchtower built thousands of years ago that no one's discovered before and everyone forgot about. Even though the elves were living in that watchtower, using it every day for hundreds, thousands of years, nobody investigated. Nobody was like, hmm, there's a Sauron head on the wall here. And then a thing that looks kind of like a keyhole right underneath it. Does this mean anything? Is this important? Should we figure out if this is something we should like destroy or, or should we just leave it? Because, you know, it's fine. It's fine. Apparently they took the latter approach. And so like all of this episode is built up, like the humans are all celebrating, you know, Isildur's with all of his like dumb buddies and they're drinking and they're hanging out with the Southlands ladies. And they're all like, whew, we made it through that one guys. We did it. We're the, we, we made it. And then Mount Doom explodes and we get a pyroclastic flow just blows through everything. And and that's the end of the episode. The last shot of the episode is Galadriel just staring at a pyroclastic flow as it, it flies toward her at incredible speed, just being like, well, and like, this uh, sucks. And then they show the place renamed to Mordor, which mm-hmm. they don't really explain, like, why or where did that name come from? Or yeah, um, it's it's just it was one of those things that kind of threw me out of it because it's like, hey, it's that place from that movie you like. Yeah, it's, that's it's, what that's that's all it felt like to me. It's it's like they might have I might as well have just like pulled up the map. Right. And then had like a little hand come out of the corner and like erase Southlands and then just write Mordor. And then maybe at the end we find out who the little hand was. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it's like who who named it Mordor, who decided it would be Mordor. Um, when was that decision made? Was it just, you know, anytime there's an explosion, a land is immediately renamed? Well, see, here's where the second season's going to go. It's because we find out that Mordor has a homeowners association. Oh, shit. And they held they held a community meeting and they decided that there were two things on the, the action items for that night. Number one renaming of the Southlands to Mordor in order to be in keeping with the darkness that now fills the skies, right? Obviously. And then they were going to outlaw fake plants on people's porches. That's, that was the next item of business. And they got so obsessed with the naming that they didn't even get to item two, but they'll deal with it at next month's meeting. Terry's got, you know, he, he keeps the minutes, so it'll be fine. And it's, that's, if anything, that and then this this later reveal that we're going to talk about are my biggest issues with the show. Because, again, I, I kept coming back to Star Trek Into Darkness because the fan service in Star Trek Into Darkness is so badly executed because the, the script itself was written from the perspective of talking directly to the audience, not talking to the characters. Not mm-hmm. talking to the the story, not not actually, because again, when he says "I am Khan" in that movie, there's like this dramatic pause. That's when for the us. Re- 
when the reaction should have been Chris Pine, Chris Pine and Chris Zachary Pine. Chris <laughs> Pine, I went, I went Matt Berry again. Chris Pine. <laughs> I'm talking to camera. Uh, <laughs> Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto should have looked at him with, with like strained expressions and been like, who? Like, who the fuck that is that? Funny. Right. Like, we don't know who you are. Khan means nothing to us. Like, what are you talking about? But that's because the script was not written. That scene was not written for those characters to react to a new piece of information. It was written for people in the audience to gasp. Right. That's what yeah. it was for. And, and like this reveal as dramatic as it is to see that, Oh, Mount doom is here. The thing that we used to know is the Southlands, this, you know, troubled, but gorgeous part of middle earth is now this just wreckage. This is the, the land of the black speech now Mordor, And they even turn the title black, right? So, you know, that it's bad. It's, it's entirely for the audience and entirely for them to understand the thing that you've seen here is now this thing that, you know, and it's like, well, yeah, sure. Okay. You could have, I mean, it it might've been better. Well, there's a, a scene at the end of the last episode where it might've been better to actually do this reveal um, as a character of importance returns to this area post, you know, Mount Doom creation. But you can tell again, this script was written to, to tell things directly to the audience, not, you know, have them be revealed through character interaction. And it's just, it's like, okay, sure. Yeah. It's Mordor now, I, I guess. I mean, is, is it, was it, was it Mordor because Mount Doom is there? Like, is that what made it Mordor? Is it Mordor because of the, the, the destruction of, of the area because of Mount Doom's creation? Like what made it Mordor and who decided that? And it, it just doesn't matter. Right. Nothing so a couple of other things. Matters. It doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. That's part of the part of the problem, really. <laughs> and so, like, you know, the battle scenes are fine. If there was one episode of the show that I would say, just go ahead and watch it just to get a, a sense of like what the show is. I, I could probably point to this one and say it's probably one of the stronger total episodes in the season. But a lot of that comes down to the fact that it's because it focuses on a single storyline and a single set of characters. We don't really diverge off into these other places. There's a decent bit of action you know, because again, my biggest, I think my biggest issue with the show is it's trying to do too much all at once. It really should have focused in on some smaller, not even smaller stories, but I mean, like which ones of these stories really matter for the progression of what we're getting in this season. And honestly, this one's obviously pretty important. So I think it would have been better to develop these more completely. And, you know, because we also get to see some of these characters interact together for the first time in this episode, right? Because we've had a Rondir and Bronwyn and those characters off doing their thing. We've had Galadriel and the New Numenorians off doing their thing. And now we're getting to see them come together and nothing happens. Right? Like I was actually like, oh, it might be kind of cool to see these characters intermingle now and get to know each other. We get three interactions. A Rondir being like, oh, that's Galadriel. Wow. Look at that. Neat. She's so cool. Oh man, I've heard stories about her. She is she's pretty pretty. I don't know. I've been hanging she's out with this. Donned. I've been hanging out with this Bronwyn chick, but whoo, I think I might change. No. Um we get Bronwyn 
for reasons apropos of nothing, toasting Halbrand in the town square, being like, the king of the Southlands. I'm like, do you, how do you even know that? Yeah. Like, I mean, I, I I understand like a character. I think a character does be like, oh, look, that's uh, that's uh, the guy. He's got the thing. He's got the little the little like uh, amulet well, thing. You does know? any did it occur to anybody that he could have stolen that? Right. Like it, since when? It's just a little pouch. It's just a pouch that he that he wears around his neck and doesn't even you know. Uh, yeah, could have so killed she, someone and just stolen it. Which and we find out he's already like beaten the hell out of some dudes. Yeah. And done some really unsavory things. So why he's, does everybody just assume he's telling the truth about he's the pouch? just a regular Middle Earth dude. He is definitely not Sauron. <laughs> Come on, I mean, he's he's he, how could he be? He's so nice. Like he's just such a nice guy who breaks people's arms and lies to them all the time. It's fine. He's just a regular Middle Earth guy. Nothing to worry about. Nothing. King of the Southlands. So she toasts him. Everybody freaks out. Um, and, and then, you know, explosions and, and rain, rain of fire type stuff. Uh, Isildur cries some more, wanders around in the smoke. Where's my papa? You know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> and that's pretty much episode six. It's, it was meant to be, I, I think it was meant to be like their, you know, Game of Thrones big battle episode, which towards the end that was like usually episode seven or episode eight, and this was this was their version of that, I guess. And it's and it's fine, it's just fine. But most of the story stuff that's happening is dumb because uh, Adar also escapes somehow. Um, he he gets away because we can't kill him. He's actually one of the more intriguing original characters, so he's got to be around. Right. Maybe he's going to be working against Sauron because mean to orcs, you know, that kind of thing. So let me move on to episode seven. Um, that is the last time that we will see a Rondir in this season, which uh, I thought was kind of shitty. Um, I will. I take it back. No, he does appear one more in episode seven. He's in the sick tent scene, I think. Um, but yeah, so episode seven is. Um, well, we got we to gotta get back to them Harfoots, right? Why? Because um, if you forgot about them in that last like really exciting episode, um, they want everybody to know that they're still there and they're still on their little journey, right? Their little nomadic wanderings. And they're not and, leaving anybody behind except for anyone who gets hurt or is annoying. Yes. I mean, they're not leaving anybody behind except anybody that gets left behind. Um, that's <laughs> anyone who's too slow. Yeah. Anyone who's too slow, injured, too old. You got a baby. Who's too old. You you can't find food, so you're starving. Now we can't share our food. I only have so much cabbage. Okay, and and I'm not going to share my cabbage with you just so that you don't fall behind. Now, when we get to camp, we'll sing a song about how we never leave anybody behind, and we're real sad that you got eaten by those bees or you didn't you starve from not having any cabbage. We'll add you to the list, but you know, sorry. Uh, Best we so, can do. so really this episode is half Southlanders recovering from what happened and half Harfoot. It's kind of almost evenly divided between the two. All of the characters that I liked are just gone. 
well, on the show. But what we finally get are two characters that I, I don't know about you, but I was desperate to see interact with each other. Two characters that I felt when the, when the show started and the characters were being laid out, I was like, you know, those two characters, I really want to see them interact with each other. I really want to see what it would be like if Galadriel, commander of the Northern Armies, future queen of Lothlorien, I want to see her hang out with Theo, the uh, idiot kid that I Haircut. would rather see die. <laughs> um, and they still won't show me his fucking ears. And so they get paired together after the, the passage of the pyroclastic flow. They get, they get buddied up and Galadriel is going to protect this young impressionable guy who already has like a thing against elves, right? He's not a big elf fan to begin with, but maybe Galadriel can sort of show him, you know, sort of, sort of lead him on this journey of self-discovery as they bond together in this moment, as the orcs are attempting to pick through the ashes and, you know, kill everyone else that remains. And um, it's real, it was you real powerful have for me. Two characters that I care less about. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, cause Theo's journey in this eight part masterpiece has been so powerful to watch him go from being a wormy little shit to being a wormy little shit to being a, a wormy little shit has been like haircut. It's, it's been really powerful <laughs> for me. I was like, Oh wow, man, is he going to continue being a wormy little shit? I'm oh, like, he, just to make is? this clear, this is nothing against the kid who plays him. Oh no, no, this I don't is, like this. kids. I mean, I don't like this kid, but it's not his fault that he's in this terrible show. No, he's and trying. it's not his fault that they gave him that haircut. No, no, um, it's it's just. But silly. I hate this character. It's a terrible character. It is, and I, I don't I'm, like little kids. Unfortunately, <laughs> I perceive him being set up as being. He's going to wind up being something really important, and and that makes me sad. Um, so so sad. Because we have. Uh, Okay, so I mentioned earlier that there were some things happening with Galadriel that made me think, okay, maybe in the second season she'll be a better character. This is one of them. Um, because she, at the end of their little adventure, as they're trying to get back to, I guess, the Numenorean camp, I guess is where they're headed, even though how they had time to like come in and set up camp. I just, I, okay, I'm trying, I'm not going gonna to think about it. They had time. They had time to build this elaborate, beautiful camp and then ride down the hill and save all the people. I'm just not going to think about it. It's fine. Why can't they just be campfires? I don't know why they had to. Have, okay, never mind. It doesn't matter. It's fine. No big deal. This show's stupid. It doesn't make a difference. But so as they're trying to get back, she hands over her sword to Theo. She says, I don't need this anymore. Right? So what, what may be happening in the most like blunt, stupid way is that Galadriel is beginning to transition from Galadriel warrior princess into this more diplomatic moving behind the scenes, you know, trying to save the elves, whatever that maybe she's transitioning. Cause she gives up her sword here in episode seven. And then for reasons that we'll soon discuss, she gives up her brother's dagger in episode eight. So she's literally laying down her arms. She's ble beating her sword into plowshares, if you will. Mm -hmm. Right? She's transitioning to a time, not of peace, 
but where she is not on the front lines doing the fighting. I want to watch season two because I bet within the first three episodes of the season, they'll completely reverse this and she will immediately be back to just murdering fools on the reg. But I'm, I'm very curious to see what they do with it. But anyway, so she gives her sword over to Theo who has definitely proven that he deserves it with all of his deception and telling Adar where to find the sword and this, the creation of Mount Doom certainly isn't that kid's fault is what I'm saying. It certainly isn't. Um, which I think there's even a scene where Galadriel's like trying to tell him that it's not his fault. Like, no, no, it it, would have happened anyway. And I'm like, well, would it have though? Because if he hadn't, I mean, and granted they were killing, you know, friends, family, his mom, right? I get it. But if he had not given the sword to Adar in that moment, the, the literal moment that the Numenorians arrived and started kicking ass, would it have happened? I think not. I think it wouldn't have. I think, I think it actually would have been okay. Would those people have been dead? Yes. And that's sad. Uh, Would the entirety of a section of their planet been converted to an unlivable hellscape? No. Mm. Think about Mm. it. Think about it. Um, Won't you? Won't you? (laughs) (laughs) Think about it. Won't you? Won't you? Um, And so like, I kind of feel like the kids should carry some guilt, maybe a little, right? Like maybe it's, maybe a bit of guilt is fine in this circumstance that you, you kowtowed to an enemy force and saved your, saved your mom who still is nearly dead anyway, but you saved her and, and you know, whatever. So they have their little journey. They make it back to camp. Um, they find out that Halbrand, totally normal middle earth dude is gravely injured. Like gravely, right? He has a cut on his belly on the left side, and it is very bad. So much so that Galadriel walks in and immediately says, only elven healing can save him. Even though a Rondir earlier in the show said that elves don't really need healing. But we have that scene at the original Lord of the Rings where Arwen showed up and said, only and elven healing. happy. It did. It did. Remember that movie um, you like? Yeah, it was good. You love now, that movie. Never mind that she's specifically taking him to Elrond to use his kind of healing. Not just the elven no. healing, but what Elrond was no. capable of. But none of that matters. He needs elven healing. So to heal Halbrand, mortally wounded Halbrand, who's very sick and almost dead, we're going to ride by horseback. For six days and nights straight, which again is still not enough time to make it to Eregion. <laughs> but time means uh, nothing, really. Uh, you know, whatever. So, I mean, because last time I checked, there's there are very few things better for the Constitution. You know, if you're just really sick, you're bleeding internally close to death than getting on a horse and riding for a week the straight horse is without doing all stopping. the work. That's true. You're just sitting, you're relaxing really. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, if you put the saddle on, right, you can kind of lean back, you know, you just kind of rest. It's very, very over. interesting. Um, so they have to take Halbrand to get magic medicine. Uh, of course that's more towards the end of the episode, but still, um, and he definitely doesn't keep saying things that sound like things that Sauron said. 
He's, he doesn't do that, fortunately. Because if he did, maybe people around him would be like, maybe there's something sketchy about this dude. Maybe we shouldn't be doing everything that we can to save him. Maybe he's kind of not good. But then most people just look at him and go like, you know, King of the Southlands, you know, got to, got to, got to help, got to take care, got to take care of him, got to help him out. He has the pouch. He who has the pouch controls the Southlands. <laughs> That's right. He who has the pouch controls the universe. And uh, so, yeah, so they're, they're going to ride. Um, we get a couple of scenes that I guess were meant to be inspiring. Um, oh, the other big development, I guess, because this episode is called the eye, I think, which I think is supposed to be like the eye of the storm, but it also, there are lots of eyes in the episode. So, um, the, um, queen regent, right? Remember when her dad said the only thing waiting for you in middle earth is darkness. He goes, well, she has fiery stuff fall in her eyes and she goes blind. She's blind now. Uh, yeah. which is not a thing that happened in Tolkien's lore, even though Queen Muriel's life is very clearly articulated, uh, even in the appendices, what happened to her. Um, I think what this is going to be, though, is this weakness, this blindness is going to give Farazan, uh, i.e. Lord of the Rings Jafar, is going to give Farazan the political cachet to marry her or force her into a marriage and then he will take control of the kingdom, which is the ultimate thing that Farazan does. He ruins Numenor by being a greedy asshole. Um, and so, like, I guess that's what they're setting up here, even though they also seem to be setting up some kind of, like, secret romance between Elendil and Muriel. I I don't know. I don't know what that is. I don't know what they do, but there's, like, this long scene in in the ship as they're arriving home where where he's like well my name doesn't just mean star love person or whatever they talked about in the previous episode it also means elf friend which you know we learned from great big old dong oh wait (laughs) i mean we (laughs) can only assume right i mean (laughs) you can only assume that that's what a lindale's packing so (laughs) Uh, so yeah, she goes home. I mean, again, they just, and then they just leave. They just leave. The Numenorians don't even stay. I guess they leave a few of them behind, but like a bunch of them like load up in a ship and just head back to Numenor right after this battle. And I'm like, so you're not going to stay and like, make sure that the orcs don't sweep over them and overwhelm them again. Nah, you're not just we're gonna, done here. You know, they speak briefly of another place we've never seen, which is like the Numenorean colony. Like that's where they're going to move everybody to. Cause there was a colony on middle earth of Numenorians. That's if I'm remembering, oh God, if I'm remembering right, that's eventually where, where that region is eventually like where Aragorn comes from. Right. Like that's kind of where he's born from. I, again, my knowledge of that is sketchy at this point. I've only, it's been a while, but so I assume they're going to establish the Numenorean colony, some kind of trade between Middle Earth and Numenor and moving back and forth very quickly, apparently, because ships are just super fast. And, and, but like, yes, so Mordor is Mordor. The Numenorians just ditch and go back to Numenor. Muriel is blind. Halbrand is totally not Sauron. Uh, he's just a regular Middle Earth dude. No problem. But we're going to ride for six days to a Region to get him some elven healing. And that's 
pretty much their story in episode seven. And the rest of episode seven is our good, good friends, the Harfoots. Just <sighs> out in the world. Well, there's also just, the Balrog. Just running around. Oh, well, that's true. We do have to finish off the, the Durin and Elrond story. Because they we don't do not ever appear see them again. in episode eight at all. Uh, well, Durin doesn't. Elrond does. So, yes. So they, they go down there and they're trying to get some more of that goddamn mithril. They're going to get it. They're going to do it. Even if, if King Durin, Durin Third, said no. They're just going to do it anyway. Because they're buds. Best buds. So they go down there and they're just mining it themselves. Alone. Just mining some mithril. And they find an incredible vein. They poke through this little hole in a wall. Right? And inside that little hole is a huge cavern that is just lined with mithril. Just mithril everywhere. And we get this scene where um, the mithril is next to the corrupted leaf from the elven tree. Right? Just in case you didn't realize exactly what mithril was going to be able to do for the elves. They lay the leaf down next to the mithril. And it makes the corruption just poof, just disappear. You know, because that's the power of mithril. It's not just a super strong metal I, that allowed them to I have like it was just military a superiority. No, 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 no. It's magical, <laughs> right? It's magical. And if you <laughs> oh, wear fuck it, me, I didn't know it was all magical. <laughs> and if it's and if you know, so when when Frodo goes into Shelob's cave with that mithril suit on, what he's actually doing is dispelling the corruption. With oh, his upper yeah. torso, right? Oh, like yeah. it's just this magic. explains everything. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's a magical experience for everyone. And oh god, damn it! Uh, yes, so the mithril is magic because of trees and Balrogs and elves and lightning or something, and and they're mining for it and they get caught. Oh no! The guy from Ozark's very angry. And he's telling them that he he strips Durin of his title, which doesn't even seem like that's a thing that he can do. I mean, maybe he can. He's the king, I guess. Doesn't well, really matter. It didn't. It really didn't seem like it because even Durin was just like, "What are you doing? Yeah, like, <laughs> like this doesn't I mean, mean anything. I'm just gonna put it back on. Like I don't know what you're talking about. Um, uh, and and so like, but it, I start to also see something that I'm not very excited about because when when they are initially rebuffed to dig for the mithril, did you notice this? Disa, they're like in their home and Disa's like, no, nah. I mean, basically she's saying that. Fuck that guy. He's going to die soon. And then you'll be yeah. king and then you can do whatever you want. And did you see what they did to her eyes? Yes. Like if you go back and watch that scene, they like put a weird light in her eyes, which I assume is CG. Cause I don't know how else they could have done it. And it's almost like, being like they're trying to say like she's being corrupted by the mithril or something like and i guess it's supposed to be their version of like what peter jackson explored with the arkenstone and the hobbit which yeah. doesn't seem like a great place to go because he didn't do a great job with that either but it's like that greed right the the the, the dwarven greed and if it's setting up like that's why they're going to accept rings later to have that power, then okay, I guess. But I did not like that turn at all, right? Because no. she just turns vile, basically. Like, you know, I, it well, just, I thought it was, it was funny because I I say shit like that all the time. 
Fuck them. They're going to die soon anyway. <laughs> That's true. I mean, you know, that like, old man yeah. sucks ass. He doesn't fucking know what he's talking about. <laughs> he died. He got his bitch ass killed in Ozark. He's going down. Um, <laughs> yeah. Like I, it's, it was just a very, like, that seems, that seems strange for her. Like I understand supporting her husband because they love each other. That's good. But for her to turn so, so violent so quickly, it was just kind of a strange, strange turn for me. But in any case, that forces uh, Durin to sort of take matters into his own hands. He's going to go and mine the mithril himself. They get discovered. And, you know, big scenes. Uh, Elrond gets kicked out to return to a region with just a teeny, his teeny tiny little sampler platter of mithril, right? His, his, <laughs> his free sample from Bath and Body Works of mithril, you know, to, that's all he's got. Right, even though the elves were expecting to have this massive quantity of mithril by the time it was all finished, so he leaves with that, and then Durin the Third, Durin, Daddy Durin, he has the leaf, right, the leaf that was the evidence of how this could save the the elves, and and he throws it through the little hole where all the mithril is, and it floats all the way down. Just, ooh. Floaty, 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 and then mithril, 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 and then it lands, and then there's a shadow squatting in the darkness, and then it sets a flame, and in the end, it's just the Balrog. The Balrog's just there. It's been there the whole time, just chilling, and now this tiny leaf has awoken it, I guess, or at least oh made it aware of the fact that, you know, because it stinks of elves it, or something. It probably recognized the leaf. It was like, hey, I know that leaf. That was from that fucking tree that got hit from by the, the lightning. Elf tree. From the elf those tree. Those fuckers. Those bastard elves. I'm going to fucking kill those guys. I don't know. But there's a Balrog there. Because of course there is. Right? You remember? There was that line in Lord of the Rings where he said they dug too deep and they found a Balrog of Morgoth. <laughs> well, get he's right there. He's just hanging. He's not even embedded in anything. He's just... Just sleeping <laughs> down there, just chilling out. Uh, so, yeah, that was dumb. All of that was dumb. Uh, that was the worst. I mean, the Elrond and Durin stuff is still fine. We do get a little scene because Durin goes to Lindor and we do get a funny little scene where he's like, where'd you get this table? <laughs> and they're like, uh, 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 he's like, this is from a stone that we use for our ceremonial dead, you sons of bitches. And they're like, well, you can have it. And so they're like, there's a scene of a bunch of elves carrying this table back to the dwarves. And then we find out that it was all just kind of a gag. It was just during the fourth being a little shit. A larf. I thought it was uh, funny. It was funny. I mean, it was a good, good moment. Again, it's nice to have some levity in your big, super serious Lord of the Rings show. So I'm fine with that. Um, but yeah, so they reveal the Balrog in, in the seventh episode. And, and again, all we do is see it kind of flame up so that you know what it is. I doubt very seriously we're going to see it break out anytime soon. Although I imagine the fall of Kaza Doom is definitely a thing that we're going to see over the course of this show. Um, even though I, I, again, the timeline for that seems a bit hinky um, in terms of kind of when and how kind of thing. Because, uh, I mean, at some point, Balin from The Hobbit goes back there to try and reclaim it. And that wasn't that long ago in terms of Lord of the Rings. Um, 
but uh, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, so yeah, the Balrog, we get the reveal. Hey, if you watch Lord of the Rings, you recognize this thing, right? Bum, 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 and you get excited. And it's it's you know, whatever. Oh, I'm so excited. Oh, man. Thrilled. Thrill a minute in this episode. Um, and, and then now we get back to the Harfoots, right? Because how could we forget the Harfoots? <clears throat> I was so hoping you um, would forget. Um, all about them. So the Harfoots have already started to get a little scared of the stranger because of all of the things that he can do, but they've sort of accepted him into the group at this point, as long as he stays in the back and maybe gets left behind, that's all fine. Um, but they're trying to get to this Valley where they stay for a good chunk of their little trip. And it's very lush and there's all this, uh, food and it's a great place for them to stop. But when they arrive, it's decimated by the Mount Doom explosion from the previous episode. Right. So the, you know, chunks of Mount Doom have landed there, set the trees on fire, burned everything. And so now their ability to survive is in question because how could they possibly survive when this, you know, essential part of their journey has been destroyed? Um, never mind that nomadic groups, when one place is fucked, you can just go to a different one and there might be another one just not too far up the road. But so there's all of this, like, I I don't know all of this, like back and forth about what are we going to do? And then the stranger does some strangery things and he revives all of the trees, but not quick enough. He doesn't, it's not immediate. And so they're like, fuck you, buddy. Get the <laughs> fuck out of here. <laughs> like, so he does all this magic shit. He says all this Quinya. And of course, none of the Harfits know what that is. And then like, but nothing happens, right? A, a branch falls off and almost kills a kid. So they're like, get the fuck out of here, you asshole. <laughs> like, you almost killed one of our little ones because they ran under a tree that was already burned and a branch fell off. Get out of here. Um it's not, it doesn't go down quite like that, but it certainly feels that way. It feels like the Harfoots are constantly on the edge of sending the stranger away. And the thing is, he does he, something useful and they're like, all right, like, ah, you fine. can stay. It's so like, um, they, we see again, this is a show made entirely for the audience, not the characters. We see uh, a little, a little sprout, a little sprigget of, of, of uh, life pop out of the tree. So we know what's going to happen, but whatever. Uh, but so the main like action for him though, is that they've identified the constellation that he needs to find. I think is that what it is? Like they look through all their old, like dumb Harfoot books and yeah. they find the constellation and I might be conflating this a bit with the eighth episode. Cause the eighth episode picks up, pretty much right away from there. Um, yeah, I don't know. We don't get that this episode. That's the next one. But so he heals the tree. It doesn't work. They give him an apple and like send him on his way kind of thing. Like just take off. And he's, he, yeah. And they give him the star map. So that's it. They don't identify what it is, but he recognizes the formation of stars in one of their books they give him that little map of the stars, give him an apple, and just say, head towards the humans, vaguely in that direction. Just start a walking. 
and he takes off. But then the weird <laughs> ladies show up, the white ladies who we still don't know who they are. They apparently are magical and they identify they look like fans of Sauron. They're big Sauron fans. Sauron stands. That's what they are. They're looking yeah. out there for Sauron and uh, they got, a, they got cool helmets and weird little headdresses and you know, all of the things you would expect for somebody hard traveling through the world uh, on foot. Because, <laughs> um, again, I just want to I just want to reiterate that Tolkien's world is big, right? It's it's mm. like Earth sized, right? It's quite large, and when you want to get places, you typically need modes of transport. And even in like just regular ass Lord of the Rings, Nazgul, right? Mystical, magical ghost men still fucking rode horses because you have to do that to get places faster and it's fine, but whatever they're walking around on foot. Cause they're super magical and they can do whatever they want. And so they show up and they, uh, cause when the Harfoots wake up the next morning after the stranger leaves, the world is changed, right? Everything's green again. There's apples everywhere. We got cabbages at the ass. We got everything we ever wanted. Everything we ever needed is here because magical stranger man made it happen. But we didn't wait 24 hours for the effects to fully take, take effect. Right? Like it's like when you take your antibiotic and you're mad that it doesn't work after 10 minutes and you're like, you know, give why don't it I now. feel better? I need to feel better now. Um, so the Harfoots really, the Harfoots, are a story of, of learning impulse control. That's really what it is. But so Nori decides that, um, because the, the people in white show up and they do some crazy shit and they realize that the stranger's in danger, the stranger danger. And so she's going to go find him before the magical people who can teleport and appear and disappear will find him. They're going to just go take off through the forest and find him. And we get this beautiful moment where her parents are like, you know, this is kind of who you are. You know, you just got, you got to get out there. We nomadic tribesmen who travel throughout the world on the regular, we're not like you. You're, you're an explorer, right? You, you need to, you need to leave the confines of our nomadic tribe that doesn't stay in one place and actually travels throughout the world expansively. And you need to get out and see the world, right? You need to get out there. You need to truly find yourself outside because we, as people who travel around the world extensively, we don't see that we don't see the world, right? You know, we're not really experiencing it. We're just in this tiny corner of this expansive part of the world that we're constantly circling. Um, but you, you Nori, you're different. No, she's not. You're an adventurer. <laughs> the, He's no different. Oh, my God. It. Oh, my God. So they tell it. her that she's going to go. And then for some reason, Penny or Polly, whatever the fuck her name is, and the leader of the Harfoots, I don't even remember his name, Sadok. 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 Yep. They go. And then also um, the mom. Is it the mom that goes? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. So. You know I, what? I hate this. This is in my head forever now. Yes. You know, I probably forgot something important to know the name of these fucking Harfoot people. 
I now like re- I don't have that knowledge anymore. I now remember I remember my, that dude's name is Sadik. I don't remember my seventh birthday anymore, but I remember that that Harfoot's name was Sadik. God damn it. Um, so all four of them, these four characters that we've barely seen interact with each other, and if we have seen them interact, it's mostly when they're frustrated and angry, decide to band around Nori, go find the stranger, and save him from these strange white white ladies. I I my jaw opened and I was like, wait, what? I fully expected it to be like Nori and Polly. I was like, okay, sure, it's this Frodo and Sam. Like you're just doing that again. That's fine, whatever. But no, all these other people go. And that's the end of the episode, is them like trucking off into the woods. I will say, at least they have packs. At least they have like supplies as opposed to all of the other characters of this show who just <laughs> ride off into the forest to go adventuring with nothing. Well, like just maybe stop a, at a 7-Eleven somewhere. Yeah. Fine. I mean, obviously, I mean, the first thing that Sauron's going to do in Mordor is set up a really lucrative convenience store chain, right? See, I we'll feel like, it, I feel like we'll call it Mordor Sauron would have a K, Casey's. Right? Oh, for sure. I, I think yeah, that would be, be the franchise it sets up there. Yeah. 7-Eleven I mean, and the rest of Middle-earth. and then He's going to hook up with the Waltons really damn fast. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a family that Sauron can be friends with. And, and yeah, so the Harfoots, once again, they kick the stranger out. Then they feel bad about it. And then they decide to go and try and help him, even though, you know, what the fuck are they going to do? Uh, apparently they're going to go all zero dark 30 and put on ghillie suits. And lay the I mean, they already had that home alone episode with the other people. So why not it's have true. the Harfoots yeah. do it? You know, it's true. I mean, you know, uh, if we're, if you're going to emulate somebody, Chris Columbus is certainly the one to emulate. You can't, mm. you, I mean, but if you suit, if you shoot for the King, you better fucking take him down. And I'm not sure they got there. Uh, so that leads us to episode did. eight. Um, and, and episode eight is really only two, two storylines. Uh, Rondier gone. <laughs> yeah, um, fuck that guy. We're done with uh, him. Durin gone. Um, I'm trying to think if anybody else gets excised. All of the people in the Southlands gone. Like oh, that whole storyline, not just a Rondier, but everybody. Bronwyn is Bronwyn still alive? We were shown her that she's fine. So I guess she's fine. Like all of that stuff's covered. So we just get Harfoots, a stranger, and Galadriel, Elrond, and Halbrand. And so our our massive world globe trotting Lord of the Rings adventure has now come down to Eregion and Strange Glade in the forest. Let's deal with let's deal with the stranger stuff first. Because in a show where Halbrand is definitely not Sauron and just a regular Middle Earth dude trying to make his way in the world, right? Bosom Buddies style, right? Like he's he is the Tom Hanks of this show. Who's just, you know, he's willing to make sacrifices. He's willing to live in that women's only apartment to make it in New York in the 80s. Cause that's, I mean, sometimes you gotta do it. So Hallbrand, definitely not Sauron, is in a region with um um Galadriel and, and Elrond, because El, Elrond gets gets kicked out of Casa Doom, and he comes back to hang out at Region because what else is he going to do? I guess. But we get one more 
Sauron fake out, right? Because that's been the question of the show, apparently, is who is Sauron, right? This, this audience mystery that they have spent eight episodes trying to make me give a shit about, and I know the answer, right? Like, I'm aware of the answer. You keep having this one character do and say things that are constantly reminiscent of other things that were done and said by Sauron. But then at the end, what do we get? Strangers out in the forest. He follows a, a little thing that looks like Nori, turns into one of the ladies in white, and they bow down before him and say, Lord Sauron, we've found you. And then if you're a stupid audience member, you go, oh, what? Oh, no. The stranger is Sauron? But like, is there anybody oh. who still thought that by this point? If I don't, I don't want to assume that people are stupid. Um, I should. They keep confirming it. But if you got to the eighth episode of the show and there was any chance that the stranger was Sauron in your mind, I, I have to think you, you just were actively not paying attention. That's the, I feel like that's, <clears throat> I feel like that's a move made for viewers with like zero media literacy. Like they just don't know how to watch a TV show. That would make sense to me. Um, because for for the stranger to be Sauron, it would have to unwrite ninety five percent of what the show has been building for the last eight episodes, right? I, it just it doesn't make any sense for for that reveal, and so they bow. The stranger's like, "Well, maybe I am bad. I don't know. I don't remember things." And then the Harfoots appear in their Zero Dark Thirty ghillie suits and they start hucking rocks. And, yeah, and like, <laughs> like, what did they really think they were going to do? I don't we know. just chuck apples at them. I mean, I already mentioned Ewoks once. It's definitely got that vibe to it where it's like, and it's like, whatever. I mean, this is a, sh- I mean, again, one of the major themes of Lord of the Rings is that underestimate the little people at your own peril. Like, I, I get that. But yeah, this seems silly because these people turn out to be wizards of some kind. Not Maybe not wizards in, in the Lord of the Rings sense, but they're magicians at the very least. These like, what the fuck are they really? Sauron's. Like, who are these people? We never find out. No, no, we don't. I, I think they'll return because, okay, so the, the battle happens. Um, I, I, I mentioned way back in the last episode when we talked about the first episode that it was, it was Nori's dialogue that very nearly just made me turn the show off completely. Like, nope, mm -mm. not, not going to have a character being like, what about the wonders in the world, mother? How can we go find them in the world? You know, it's just like, where my pot of gold's at the end of the rainbow, mother. What do I got to go find it? You know, (laughs) um, and it happens. Just feel like I was meant for something. And it happens again in this episode. Because and I I I wasn't going to turn it off at this point, but I I had to pause it to control my laughter. And she, there's a, a, a pinnacle moment. They've disrupted whatever the white witch ladies were going to do, and the stranger is is laying on the ground, 
somewhat immobilized. And he's like, I am bad. Maybe they know. And I don't know. Cause he can talk now. Like that's the thing. Um, and she looks at him and she says, no, it's what you do that matters. I mean, it's, it's like the line that you've heard in every single other show where a character is dealing with some moral problem where they said, it's what you do. It's the scene at the end of Batman begins where he's sitting there and he says, it's what I do that defines me. Right. And she says that to him with words. It's not even implied. Just like, no, if you're good or bad, if you do good, you are good. I mean, basically that. And he stands up and he does more cool wizard shit. And frankly, all the wizard shit in this is very good. And it looks cool. And he says some Kenya and he casts some spells. And then all of the ladies turn into ring wraiths. That was the dumbest thing I've ever seen. And I know they're not ring wraiths. They can't be because there are no human, there are no rings yet. Um, But they turn into some kind of like ghost thing. And then they turn into moths and fly away. And I looked at this and I paused it again so that I could examine it closely. And they are the exact same moths that Gandalf speaks to when he's being held captive by Saruman in Lord of the Rings that he then communicates with and they go and summon the eagles so that he can escape. And a piece of me said, you know, I bet it's just a visual thing. I bet it's just them being like, Hey, this is, this is a Lord of the Rings moth. This is a stamp of approval. This moth has appeared in Lord of the Rings. That's a moth we can use. But then I thought, no, no, that's not what this show is going to do. No, 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 no. It's, it's not going to be that simple. No, these ladies that just got defeated are those moths. And Gandalf now, in we're going to somehow explain that in Lord of the Rings, he has the ability to summon them. It wasn't just a random moth flying around that Gandalf, the wizard, was able to speak to and then request help via the animal communication chain to the, to the, the eagles. No, these are like his personal moths that are now tied to him because he defeated them in the past. And he can summon them at will. And it might take him a while to get there. They are moths, after all. But they're actually wizard ladies that he can summon. I, 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 I almost it. guarantee it. I almost guarantee that these moths will come back and he will know them. He'll call them by name or some shit. He'll be like, ah, hello, Susan. <laughs> I see. I see. I defeated you or, or something. I, I don't know, but it will come back. And it's so dumb. Like it is so dumb. Like it, the fact that they are still trying to give me Sauron fakeouts at the beginning of the last episode of this season is laughable from a structural standpoint. This se- this should have happened. Stuff should be happening. Like yeah. you need to be moving this stuff forward, not teasing things. Right. They've been teasing this for eight episodes now and they've made it. And I've seen people say, oh, well, you can't be mad at writers for like, you know, oh, you can't be mad at them for foreshadowing something that eventually happens. Like that's, that's writing. That's what you do. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't foreshadowing, right? This is a setup and payoff reveal situation, right? And you can do that well, and you can do that badly for how to do it. Well, you watch the usual suspects. 
right? Mm. The usual suspects is how you set up a reveal that comes as a shock where you're like, I had no idea that this was true. Now you still, there are people that I've talked to that watch that movie the first time. I'm like, yeah, I saw that coming. And I'm like, yeah, the clues are all there. But the question is, are you paying attention not just to the clues themselves, but how they all connect and how they all lay back to, to come together? That's good reveal writing where you're trying to like be like, bah, 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 it was him all along, right? Like that's how you do that well. This is how you do it bad because it was so painfully obvious from the moment that character appeared that it's like, well, yeah, this is what it is. And what's that reveal? If you haven't figured it out already, Halbrand is Sauron. And the stranger is Gandalf. (laughs) And the stranger is Gandalf. Um, Again, I still see people who want to believe the blue wizard theory that what's that he's one of the blue wizards. No, he's going to go and he's going to find the other blue wizard because that's what gets revealed is that the these these white ladies as they're like combing through the stuff he has on him. They find this constellation and then one of them has like a bedpan or something that has a constellation (laughs) on the back. And she's like, oh, this is called the Hermit's Hat. This is when you find it in Rune, which is another place that we've never really seen in Lord of the Rings before, but gets talked about a lot. And so you have to go to Rune to find the Hermit's Hat. Again, it's a, it's a constellation in the sky. I don't know why he has to go to Rune to find a constellation, but fine. In the midst of this, um, Sadak is, is stabbed, and he watches one last sunrise in a poignant moment that no one cares about. Because we, I, I love. This Guess they'll actor. be leaving him behind. I mean, Lenny Henry is a great actor. He did a lot with the very little time he had with this character, I suppose. But yeah, he gets left behind because he dies, <laughs> and they return with the stranger back to the camp again. And then we get another emotional scene of them being like, you know, honey, you just got to go on this adventure with the stranger. You can't stay behind. And this takes forever. This it's a really so long, long speech. It's a really long speech, man. Like it just goes on and on. And again, I like the guy playing her dad. I think he's, he's trying. Like, I mean, all these actors are trying to make these like point poignant moments. And as a father myself, you know, some of the things he was saying was like, Oh yeah. You know, that's it's dad stuff, you know, that you would throw out there. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> but like, man, so now she's leaving with the stranger and, um, Oh man. Uh, so the stranger can totally talk now. Like he is fully verbal. He has a lovely British accent. It's he's good. He the good for conversation and not just conversation, but insight and wisdom because he's sitting with Nori. They've got their stuff. They're getting ready to take off, go to rune, find the hermit's hat or whatever. <laughs> and she's like, but where do we go? How do we, how do we find it? I'm just a little hard foot. I don't, I don't know the world. I'm just, I'm just a little Harfoot, even though I'm a nomad that's been traveling the world my entire life. I don't know the world. I'm just a tiny little Harfoot. I just follow everybody in the caravan. I really haven't been paying attention. <laughs> yeah, like I don't pay attention to anything. And he's like, well, if you don't know where to go, what should you always do? Follow your nose. Follow the smell. And, uh, <clears throat> I hate it. I'm okay with them calling back to and referencing stuff in Lord of the Rings that we know. Obviously that's what this show exists to do. That much is clear now. 
but to just straight up fucking take a line from that script spoken by Gandalf to a hobbit and just insert it into this this is where I was like okay there's fan service and then there is like shitty fan service this is just lazy because a they're outside like the whole thing about following your nose and why it works in the context of when Gandalf says that is because they're in a cave and you're looking for fresh air to get out of a cave right and it's jovial it's more jovial than that it's funnier than that but that's kind of like the joke that's the funny part right but here they're just sitting on a in a glade on a bright day, and he's like, "Well, just follow your nose, just go towards the thing the that fuck smells does that good." Mean, Gandalf? What does it mean? I'm sorry, stranger, whatever the <laughs> fuck your name is. No, he's still a blue wizard. You can't be sure. Oh my god! And like, do they really think the show is that smart? Do they really think that these two nobodies who don't even have Wikipedia pages care at all about? digging into the lore and really like going for a deep cut. Like we're going to make it the blue wizards that nobody ever talks about. Like, no, they want to sell merchandise. Mm-hmm. It's Gandalf. <laughs> oh my God. I hate it. <laughs> I just hate it so much. It's, it was rough, man. This was, this was tough. That, that was the hardest scene for me. And it's, it's not the actor's fault. The actor I no. think is good. Like I like him. And I, but I wish that this show would just own the fuck up to it and just call him Gandalf and be done with it. Like, this isn't a surprise. It's not a reveal. At this point, it's annoying. You just, you are, you are, now we are in the phase of audience understanding where you're just being obtuse. You're just not saying it because you want to keep people being like, but is it? It is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Like, stop it. It's just cut it out, right? He doesn't have his pointy hat yet. We get it. We'll find it later. The He doesn't have his silver scarf. He'll find it later, but it's fucking Gandalf. And if it's not, and this does become a reveal, that's equally a problem because you've done nothing but show me evidence that it is Gandalf. And so now if you pull some kind of twist and be like, oh, it's not Gandalf. It actually is one of the blue wizards. Then you were just fucking be like, with people. Now you're just fucking with me. Now you are just fucking with me because you keep doing all of this shit to make it me think it's Gandalf and then you're going to pull the rug out from under me. That is also shit. Like both. Now they've backed themselves into a corner where both of the reveal options are dumb. Suck. Yeah. Like it sucks. Stupid. So it's, it's one of those like I don't again, it goes back to my question from our first episode is who is this for? Right. I don't know who would enjoy this, right? Like, because again, if you are just a non-Tolkien fan, maybe you saw the movies once, you're bewildered. I have no idea what's going on. What is any of this stuff? What is it? Why did they change the name from the Southlands to Mordor? What does that mean? Right? Like, that's you. If you're a huge Tolkien fan, unless you're a really sweet one like Nerd of the Rings, you're going like, what the fuck is going on? I could None of this stuff see- is in there. I could kind of see the diehard fans like the this. I don't even want to call them diehard fans. They're like people who have been members of the the Tolkien Society fan club since like the sure. 90s. Those people might enjoy this in the sense that 
they could sit back and say like, well, I've never seen someone try this before. Sure. This is, this is an interesting take on this, but it, you know, again, you're giving them a lot of credit though. Yeah. And, and anyone who is, obviously this is preying upon people who really like the movies. Gotta Not so be. much the books. Yeah. I, I feel like people who read books, like anytime there's a there's a movie made of a book I like, I just sort of walk in being like, well, this isn't going to be like the thing that I read, obviously. Yeah. Now you so that need bothers to let go me that, less. For sure. But what does bother me is if, is when like there's a remake of something and it, it constantly calls back to the movie that it's a remake of. I hate that. I hate it. Because it's not original. And this feels like there are so many callbacks to the Peter Jackson movies that it's just infuriating. Where it's like, why can't you just be your own thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just be happy doing your own thing. Again, I, I think a lot of my issues with this show could be solved by taking out a lot of the legacy characters and just replacing them with original characters that I don't have any preconceived notions of. Yeah. Like I would rather the stranger be one of the blue wizards or a brand new wizard. Like I, that would be better, right? Than trying to constantly just poke and be like, "Hey, it's a Gandalf." <laughs> you, you, you get it? Remember? I mean, are, remember, remember? Are you that smart guy enough? I mean, you like and, him? Because it's almost like, are you smart enough to realize who this is? And it's like, well, I would yes. hope so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you keep using lines that he's spoken in the movies before. I would hope that I could figure it out. So the stranger stuff resolves there. They go on their adventure. They, there is that nice line about adventures have to be shared. Otherwise, it's just a journey or something. And I was like, okay, that's that's fine. That's less fart huffy than most of your dialogue that you try to use. Um, but even still, it's like, okay. So they're going to go on their little thing now. And then we flash back to Eregion and Galadriel, Halbrand, Celeborn, and Elrond. And so uh, Gilgalad is also there, and they are discussing the situation. Now that they have been excised from Khazad-dûm, there is no Mithril coming. How can they save the elves? Because the elves are going to fade. The elves are going to die and have to leave Middle-earth unless they have goddamn Mithril. It's the only thing that can save them. Um, All their intuition, all their knowledge, all their intelligence, uh, their connection to uh, the Valar, none of that matters. It's just Mithril. It's just rock in the ground that we have to mine. That's the only thing that can save us. Wow. Um, it's, I mean, that's it. There's no other choice. Um, and so they're working to try and come up with a solution. And, and they decide that with the little bit of Mithril that they have, that they could make a crown. Right? And it would be like the circlet, and maybe Gilgalad could wear it. And then that would would sort of cause the effects to radiate outward. Uh, it has to be a circle, though. Mm-hmm. Like Kelleborn says that specific. Oh, yeah. It's got to be in a circle, or else it won't. The power it's won't the best shape. won't work. It's the best <laughs> shape, right? We certainly wouldn't want to make it a, a dodecahedron. That would be ridiculous. Um, or a or a square. A square, or like yes, a triangle. triangles. I mean, triangles are very awkward. You don't want to have to deal with those. I mean, do we go isosceles? Do we go obtuse? I mean, like. There's a lot of options there. Circles just much more, much easier. So they're going to make a crown. Google adds a little up. He's like, I don't, I don't know about a crown. I don't know if I want to wear a crown. I mean, I am the king of the elves. Yes, but crowns a little much. I've got the little Julius Caesar thing going on and I kind of dig that. Where do you works, have a crown? Works with my hair. You know, I don't know if I want anything else. 
Um, and then it becomes an issue of they don't, they just don't have enough mithril, right? It's, it's just not a big enough sample to work with. What are they going to do? And that's when Halbrand, definitely not Sauron, walks in and he's talking to Celeborn. He's like, Hey, I heard this is where Celeborn was. Is he around? And he's like, I'm Celeborn. He's like, wow, my smithing teacher. I believe that's even the phrasing he uses. The guy who taught me how to smith, he talked about you. He said, you are awesome. And Kelborn's like, well, mm. I mean, you know, he curls back the middle school curl from his, his haircut. He's like, well, I, you know, I've been known to do some nice work from time to time. And Halbrand's like, well, you know, um, you got a little bit of mithril, right? And he's like, yeah. Why don't you like mix it with some other metals to dun, try and dun, dun, uh, dun. try and expand it, try and try and have more mithril than you've actually got, right? You just combine it with some other shit. Back when back in the land where I came from, you know, we didn't have many resources. Right? Those were hard to come by, so we had to mix stuff. We called them alloys. And Celeborn. Master of all elven smiths is like, huh? That's an interesting idea. Never thought of that myself. Never had the need to because you know, as elves, we always have all the resources we need. Thank you, Dollar <clears throat> Tree Sawyer from Lost. <laughs> so, um, so in in the lore, and this is a very well articulated component of the lore. They even made a video game, but they made two video games about it. The, the shadow of war and shadow of Mordor games are both about Celeborn's forging of the rings, uh, or at least they, they tie into that. Um, so the, the lore goes like this. Sauron at this time was in hiding and he was disguising himself. His body had the ability to be reshaped in various forms. And so he took the form of Anatar the gift-giving elf. And he went out to all of these various races and he convinced them, and Celeborn was one of them, the major one, convinced them to help him forge the rings of power, right? He needed their resources and stuff. So this show decides, well, we can't have a character called Anatar because everybody who's watching will know who that is. So instead, we're going to create Halbrand. <laughs> Random Middle-Earth man Nothing to see here. Just a dude. Definitely not Sauron. And so the gift that he gives to Celeborn is the concept of alloys. That's the gift. That's it. Um, that's it. They were already going to make them. Well, he also, it's hinted, seeds the idea of them being rings. Right. That it needed to be smaller. But it's, it's a little bit dicier there. So he convinces them to use alloys. And as Celeborn is trying to explain this to Gilgalad, he uses this phrase. This is not of the flesh, but above the flesh. And Galadriel's standing there and she kind of goes like, oh, huh. I think I heard that before. That's what Adar said about what Sauron was trying to do. At that crazy castle we found in episode one. 
well, huh. That's weird. And she looks at Kelleborn and she says, where did you hear that? And he's like, I don't know. I, I probably came up with it myself because Kelleborn's an asshole now. Who's like, well, that's, it was my idea. It was my idea all along. I, he didn't tell me anything I didn't know already. He's just a stupid human man. Man. And so now Galadriel, for some reason, is suspicious. She's like, was Halbrand there when that was said? Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know. But now, now her hackles are up. Now, after all of the giant red flags. And why said, was it that that made her suspect Halbrand? Like, was it just? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, again, like she's the, been with him this whole time. Whole time. And I mean, he didn't do point, anything else months. that made you think he was Sauron. Yeah, when he broke all those dudes' arms, and when he like was a master smith who was like able to forge like incredibly good things without seeming much effort. Like, didn't think about and all that. he wanted to do in Numenor was get near a forge, get mm-hmm. the little metal thing. Yeah, he could I just be near the forge all at all times. Yep. Nope. None Nothing. of those were red flags. It was all fine. He was just a, a normal human, Middle Earth man. That's all he ever was, but a king also. Never forget that. And so then she goes on and and we get a little Gandalf scene because everybody loves these scenes where she's like shuffling through papers in libraries and she's requesting interlibrary loans about (laughs) lineages. (laughs) And she's somehow able to figure out that the line of the Southern Kings was actually broken uh, because the guy was killed. And that Halbrand, there is no possible way that he could be the king of the Southlands. And like nobody looked into this. Uh-uh. You had this information. No, that's. And I you mean, didn't look into it. No, at no, all. No, no, no. You met him on the ocean, and he had a thing around his mm. neck mm. that you vaguely recognized as being kingly. Mm. So he must be the king. Obviously, I get it. Which, let's take a slight detour, and let's talk a bit about Sauron's plan. Because this is, uh, as Django Wexler said on Twitter, this is the Emperor Palpatine problem. When you look at the prequel trilogy, specifically, at what Emperor Palpatine was trying to do, that plan makes no sense. Nope. And without very specific things happening, wouldn't have ever worked. So let's look at Sauron's plan. So Sauron is defeated after the fall of Morgoth. Not defeated personally, but his power is is in danger. So he escapes. Galadriel and her team of little elf men are hunting for him. They finally find some... some cavernous castle in the middle of somewhere where he's been doing experiments on orcs for reasons. Okay. So he's doing experiments. That was a long time ago. Stuff happens, presumably Uh, we don't know what, but so he planned to be on a raft in the middle of the sundering seas with a bunch of other humans that have no idea who he is. Knowing that Galadriel, who was being sent to Valinor, would jump off the boat to Valinor, swimming through the ocean, and that their raft, which was adrift and unable to really be navigated, 
that that raft would then find her. He would rescue her. They would both be nearly dead and wind up being rescued themselves by Numenorians because, you know, they just are out there and the ocean's not that big. It's kind of small, actually. You know, it's really, yeah. it's more of a pond and not like in that, oh, across the pond kind of way. It actually is a pond. And so they get rescued by Numenorians. Halbrand on Numenor wants to, to stay at Numenor. He doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay there so he can have access to all their forges and technology, presumably so that he can start working on the forging of whatever ring of power he wants to forge. But Galadriel convinces him to be the king of the Southlands, which he is not, and to go back and fight the humans or fight the orcs of the Southlands who are actually Sauron's orcs to fight them and then allow the creation of Mount Doom by Adar, who was manipulated from before to create Mount Doom, but also kill Adar, not knowing that Mount Doom had been created because they thought that they reclaimed the sword from him and Halbrand wouldn't have known that Waldrip or whatever the hell that guy's name was, had the sword and was going to create Mount Doom. But creating Mount Doom was also very important to Sauron's plans to forge things. But at the same time, he would then pretend to be injured or injure himself in such a way that he would need to then go to a region with Galadriel so that he could then, I mean, we can do this for a long time. This plan is dumb. Yeah. Now I could believe perhaps that Sauron initially had a plan to try and get to Numenor by like being on the raft and being rescued by the Numenorians. Maybe. I but don't think it, I don't, all that, of this, that still doesn't make any sense. None of this makes any sense. None of this makes any sense. This plan is dumb. It's <laughs> ridiculous. None of it should, none of it would work. Like if he was masterminding all of this stuff, because the last shot of Halbrand in the show, after all the shit happens, is he's walking like over the hill and viewing Mount Doom. And we like see the reflection of it in his eye and he smiles like, ha ha ha. This is what I wanted all along. And I'm like, no, it fucking wasn't. How in the shit was this your plan all along? Like there is no way that you could have planned that all of this would have taken place. Like it's just not possible. And so Sauron is either an idiot who was just kind of like being, he's floating like a leaf, right? He's like, Ooh, look at all the, Oh, well Mount doom got formed. Well, shit. I'm gonna head back to Mordor. I'm going to be on Mount doom bitches. Like I, it just, it's ridiculous, right? Like, Again, if you want Sauron to be this mastermind, then we should have seen all of these pillars in motion inside the show and not like hinted at like, oh, he manipulated Adar into bonding with the orcs and then trying to rebuild Mount Doom to turn it into a perfect land for Sauron to return to. But what if he failed? Like, what if it didn't work? What if he didn't find the sword in the guy's yeah, barn to open the yeah, dam? So it's like, fine. It's like, God. Damn it, dude. I mean, did Sauron tell Adar that that's where the sword was? Did he know? Is he like, oh, it's in this dude's barn. Just go get it. It's <laughs> like, if that's the case, then just go get it and just kill them all by flooding the valley. Like, why all this? Why all this happenstance? But so the forging of the rings, presumably what this show is all about. And it fucks that up, too, because 
it forges the elven rings were forged first if I remember correctly but presumably we're going to see all these rings forged at different times which doesn't make a ton of sense um, mm. but we have but this show does another thing that just blew my mind because not only does Sauron he's like manipulating Celeborn to forge the rings tells him how to make alloys <laughs> god David. Tells him how to make allies. Then when Galadriel reveals to him that she knows that he's not the king of the Southlands, she won't say that he's Sauron, but she's like, I know you're not the king of the Southlands. And then he's like, I never said I was. I figured that out. Yeah. Like, (laughs) but like the crazy thing is, is he's like, yeah, I never said I was. I told you I got this off a dead man. That's exactly how I got it. Like, I just, I never lied to you. And then we, we, we frame device the show. Because Sauron uses his amazing powers to go inside of Galadriel's mind and take her back to that sweet, sweet day on the shore of the pond or the shore of the little creek in Valinor where she made the boat. And she's just there again with her brother. And her brother's like, you know, I went to Middle Earth for peace, right? And that's what Sauron wants. It's just peace. And she's like, but peace through force and he's like what's the difference peace is peace peace is peace Meh. and she's like never and then the brother gets angry and then we're on the raft and then we're like it's like this the hell brand greatest hits but then the show actually does Luke join me together we will rule the galaxy as father and son Oh God! It just went there, and used again the lines from the show, which were taken from the books. I will become more powerful than the foundations of the earth, and and he Sauron tempts Galadriel to stand by his side and join him in dominating Middle Earth. It's just dumb, which she resists. Which okay, sure. Yeah, but sure. then why was it so meaningful when she resisted later in the movies that people liked? Doesn't matter. Doesn't it kind of rob that moment? Yeah, because now she's of any significance because like she already resisted Sauron. Yeah, and she's she's culpable now because that's the choice that Galadriel makes. Is she knows that Halbrand is Sauron? Uh, Elrond has also figured it out because he found the parchment floating in the water and he's like hellbrand's not the king of the southlands like yeah no shit um but he disappears he's there for like three days and then somehow changes the course of all history and they decide to forge the three rings so we do get a fairly nice little forging scene there's a lot of hot metal running through little tubes and you know whatever uh i was not personally impressed with the design of the rings myself i mean i they're rings. It's fine. They do have the appropriately colored jewels. They are red, white, and blue, which they were in the books. But in a modern context, the red, white, and blue sort of has a different meaning these days. But that was that was, that was just me. I'm just reading. Yeah. That. that was all me. But uh, so they forged the rings, and and the elves are saved, or are they? And and yeah, that's. I mean, that's it. The show's over. Halbrand goes back to Mordor. He's obviously going to go forge some other stuff in Mount Doom because, of course, 
because that's the thing that you know from the series. And 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 that's it. So Galadriel That's it. Galadriel like allowed the rings to be forged even knowing that Sauron was behind their forging. Cool. Cool. Awesome. Cool, cool. Awesome job, guys. You did it. Season television down. Um I, I don't know, man. Uh, I guess we we don't have to belabor the point. I think we've we've made most of our our points. But I guess let's. Yeah, we did not like this show. I I was I don't want to say I was desperate to like it because I really wasn't. I'm I'm happy with the amount of Lord of the Rings that I have in my life. I don't I don't I never I don't wake up in the morning and be like man. Well, I th- I think the first episode we did both or one or both of us said several times like no one asked for this, no one wanted this. <laughs> Yeah. Why is this happening? Why is this? Like, I didn't need this show, but the yeah. fact is, it's here. Mm-hmm. It's happened. It is happening, and it's not stopping. Second season is filming as we speak. Um, right. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, yeah, it's it's just one of those like franchise baity nostalgia hit shows, and and I, I'm I'm going to be honest, I'm here for most of those. Right. Like I don't mind watching a show that is, is treading upon my nostalgia for a thing that I love, but I, I, as I think many people are, are growing more and more dissatisfied with shows that are content to only do that. Like that is the purpose of the show is to satisfy my nostalgia. Uh, there are certain moments of that that I'm willing to take and, and I certainly can enjoy. Like, you know, I like force awakens just like fucking everybody. Right. Because it was just Star Wars again with other people, and it was fine. Is it good? Not really. Um, nah. But it it functions. But but what is what's killing me is that while Lord, you know Rings of Power was wrapping up, another nostalgia baity show was winding up, or, or or getting started, and that was Andor on Disney Plus. And uh, we we've chatted back and forth about Andor a couple of times, and I I have absolutely loved Andor up until this point as a longtime star Wars fan that keeps walking out of star Wars stuff going like, I really want to see new things. Like I want, I want to see people do interesting things with star Wars outside of what I know, right? As much as I love the Mandalorian, it's, it unfortunately keeps sort of going back to the well in terms of what I know. And, and it's like, it's still good. I still enjoy it. I think it's, it's more good than bad on the whole. But Andor is a different thing entirely. Andor feels like somebody at Lucasfilm fucked up and just wasn't paying attention. And then all of a sudden they got like a high level spy drama that's written extremely well. And is doing all kinds of interesting shit with Star Wars that has never been done with Star Wars before. And I, I mean, I, I think I even mentioned in the last episode, like it had a line drop in like the fifth episode that the writers of Lord of the Rings would have killed a child to get right to figure <laughs> out like they would they would murder babies in in the writer's room to write as good as this one line from Andor. And like. And Andor just keeps doing it week to week to week, unfailingly. Like the last episode, 
of Andor uh, as we speak, I think it was seven, seven or eight. Um, and it's two, the, the entire show is one is like a long political conversation between Mon Mothma and a person trying to finance the rebellion. And then the other part of it is like a prison drama where Andor is trying to like not only escape, but like survive the slow internal destruction of a person via the Imperial, you know, sort of force. And it's quiet and it's confident and it's well acted. Diego Luna is fucking awesome in this show. Like it's, it's incredible. Right. And it's, and it just, I look at this and I look at Lord of the Rings and I say like, you're, you're both playing in the same sandbox here where you're just trying to, to like play within these established universes. But Andor is finding these cool corners to go that, I mean, ostensibly we know, I mean, there's characters in it that we know. I mean, Mon Mothma's all over it. Who's been in a bunch of shit. Um, Saw Gerrera showed up in this one from Rogue One. I mean, like and even Andor is from Rogue One. Like these are characters that we've seen before, but the show is like pushing in these interesting directions. Fiona Shaw is in it. She plays Andor's adoptive mother. She's incredible. It's, I, I cannot speak highly enough of what Andor is doing and it doesn't seem like anybody is watching it, which makes me sad because like, this is the kind of shit that star Wars fans should be watching. Like there's a, there's a character they introduced in like the third episode. Who's like this political thinker. He's this kid and he's basically like space Marxist, right? He's like, and he's just got all these like crazy writings in this journal about like, what oppression is and how the Imperials will be defeated and all this stuff. And he's like this ideological thinker. And there's like several conversations where he's trying to express like what the ideological foundations of the rebellion should be and how it should function and what it should do. And Andor is sitting there listening to it. And he's just like this gun for hire at this point. He's not invested in the rebellion. And so he's constantly pushing back against like Empire doesn't give a shit about you. He doesn't care what you think. He doesn't care what your opinions or values are. It's just going to kill you. That's all it does. And, and like, there's this pushback, this philosophical pull, push and pull. And it's, it's great. Like, it's such an awesome show <laughs> that I, I'm watching Lord Riggs of Power to being like, what is happening? Like, how can this be going? How can Star Wars be sort of outmaneuvering Lord of the Rings at this point? Which I think, historically speaking, has been a much more solid franchise for that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I know, you know, you're, you guys are into Star Wars, not as not as much as me, and that's that's okay. And well, like I don't have Disney Plus or anything, right? I mean, and in being in Sweden, I don't even know if you can. In Sweden, uh, you can. Do I have just, it? Okay. yeah, I just haven't. I haven't ever signed back up for it because it. I used the service to watch The Simpsons, not new Simpsons, just yeah, the same right. twelve <laughs> seasons over and over again. Sure, the good ones. Um, yeah. The good ones, but uh, but I never signed back up and. I just kind of fell out of Star Wars. But I exactly. do hear people saying a lot of positive things about the show. Andor is is surprisingly good. Like it's it's an it's an adult political drama. Like it's a, there's enough in it that my kids are really into it like the the intrigue of it all. I mean like understand it's written by Tony Gilroy uh, or Tony Gilroy is the showrunner and Tony Gilroy is best known at this point for the Bourne franchise. He wrote and directed a couple of those. Um, but he also wrote Michael Clayton, which is probably one of the best legal thrillers. It's not really a legal thriller, but it kind of is 
um, of the last 20 years. Like Michael Clayton is an incredible film. Uh, one of George Clooney's best movies. And this is written by those guys. And, and it's, it's incredibly competent. Uh, it's also super long. This season is going to be 12 episodes and each arc is three episodes. So there are four basic arcs to this, this season. And then the next season will be the same basically. Um, just incredibly well done and, and really good. Um, yeah, I, I, I cannot speak highly enough of Andor. It's, it's really something unique in the current star Wars landscape because it's not just relying entirely on nostalgia bait to get the job done. Uh, if anything, it's, it's actively good. pushing against that, which That's good. is good. I mean, it's really good. Uh, and it's something that Lord of the Rings should maybe consider doing. Like, don't just keep making me feel nostalgia for better movies than what you are you should, doing. Your, your show or movie should never make me want to watch a different thing. Right. Like if I'm ending your episode being like, hmm, you know, I think I could go for another two towers rewatch. You've messed up. Right. Unless of course their goal is to make you watch it on Amazon at the same time. And then you can watch it again. Maybe that's what they want. Maybe that is it. Maybe the, like watch an episode of rings of power, hate watch a Lord of the Rings episode, uh, film, you know, but on Amazon. Oh, Jeffrey Bezos, way, your ways are wins. sly. Amazon wins. Amazon always wins. Never bet against Amazon. Um, all right. Well, let's let's wrap up. Uh, I think that's enough uh, recapitulation of of Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. This show was, was pretty much a giant trash fire. There's about 15 minutes worth of decent shit in it, and everything else is fair to Midland at best. Um, it looks good. The production value is slathered all over the screen. The special effects are remarkably good. I will say that their technology or the, the numerous technologies that they're using to do the big people, little people stuff is pretty exceptional. Um, it's, it's a combination of things or at least appears to be there's, there's definitely some digital CGI, like, you know, shrinking and growing kind of stuff, but a lot of it still seems to be using traditional techniques as well. So, I mean, that in and of itself is good because that's a technology that I think if, if it is developed well, that opens up a lot of fantasy for people to use. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of fantastical stories involving people of various statures kind of all being together at the same time. And uh, if they can sort of push the needle forward on that, then that's cool too. But uh, yeah, I, I find it very difficult to recommend this entire eight episode series as worth watching. Um, if anything, episode six, a uh, little bit of episode two, maybe a uh, couple scenes from episode eight. And that might be about it that, that I think back on like, Oh, that was all right. And, and that is painful to say about a Lord of the Rings thing, but if you have a surgery lined up, <laughs> give it a watch. If you're going to be an invalid for a period of time in the near future, if then you have broken sure. your leg and you have to sit on the couch for extended periods of time, you could do worse than this show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I would say that that is, is the ideal circumstance in which if to watch to Lord of the Rings between this and watching the big bang theory or mm. all of the reruns of criminal minds. I would say check this out before you check out criminal minds. Yeah. At least the first couple of seasons, the Mandy Patinkin yeah. seasons, you know, yeah. those, those, those maybe before, a fair, fair before show. he left, you know, then, then you need to skip the rest. Once we get into Mantania, then eh, 
you know, it's a little spotty. This might He's be better than the Mantania season. <laughs> All right. So uh, if anybody wants to get a hold of you to ask if uh, or, or express clearly their their feeling of, of how incorrect you are about your assessment of Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power, and how it actually is the greatest piece of filmed entertainment ever produced by humans on the planet. Where can they do that? Uh, you can find me at Baskinator on Twitter, but just a warning, I'm usually tweeting things at Joe Mantegna all day, so I don't know if I get back to you, but, you know, look me up. Very true. Whereas I am constantly tweeting Mandy Patinkin, on my handle at T Baskin. <laughs> We're just two different people. <laughs> We're just like two that. very different. You're a Joe Mantegna person. I'm a Patinkin person. <laughs> He's you <know>. fat Tony. <laughs> He's Inigo Montoya. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can get me at T Baskin. You can get us together at FPS Theater on Twitter. Uh, at least for the near future, we'll see how the Elon Elon era starts off. <laughs> Have yeah. some other social media to share in your future. Find me on co-host. Yeah, co-host. <laughs> Woo-hoo. Um, or you can get us at failurepeace at gmail.com. Well, we will be back uh, with another spooky story. We'll probably pick up with the one that we put off so that we could talk about this terrible, terrible television program uh, next yeah. week. But we'll be back with some more discussions of... Maybe some movies that deserve your time, a little bit of entertainment media that might have been overlooked, not like this one, and uh, whether or not you should still give it a chance. A little failure piece, if you will. Uh, And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.